Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim and I am the host of this program. Once again, blessed be your name. Thank you for the blood. Let everything that has breath and 10,000 reasons. These are all names of worship songs. You may not recognize them just by their title, but once you listen to it, you will recognize them right away. These worship songs, which are sung in many churches today, are written by one worship leader from England since the late 1990s. Many people say that the days of Christianity in Europe has died, including England, the root of the Anglican and Methodist denominations. But seeing these gracious worship songs come out from England we can see that there are people who abide in God's grace and passionately love God in England. This shows that faith doesn't follow the trend of the country or the region, but that faith is personal. The man who, in the mid-1990s, at the young age of 15, entered the worship ministry with a desire to only praise God. Today, we will share about England's Matt Redman and the worship songs he wrote to God. We'll come back to share more after our first song. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Blessing you pour out our time back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glory. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Matt Redman was born in 1974 at Watford, England. He wasn't born or raised in a Christian family. In fact, his circumstances weren't normal. When he was seven years old, the suicide of his father left him with a huge emotional shock, and his family struggled financially. So ever since he was young, Matt Redman struggled to find some place that he could rely on, and he eventually found a desire to go to church. Through the sacrificial love and service of a few people in the church, Redman slowly recovered emotionally and started studying the Word. While learning about Jesus through the studying of the Scriptures and praying, Redman comes to realize that he was saved by the grace of Jesus and accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Unable to control the joy of meeting Jesus personally, he starts to seriously contemplate how he can let other people know the love of Jesus Christ. Such thoughts led him to go into the worship ministry, serving as a worship leader at a church when he was 15 years old. And now, after 27 years, Redmond continues to worship God and gives glory to Him with worship songs that he wrote. Of course, Redmond also had problems that he faced. Although the members of the praise team gathered to praise God, to thank God of His saving grace, along the continued praise rallies, while looking at the cheering crowd, Redmond realizes that they weren't praising, worshiping God, but instead were immersed in their own music, enjoying and worshiping that situation. He realized that they didn't have their hearts set in worship, but instead were focused on how they could move people's hearts with better music. He realized that being concerned of making a rally that was satisfactory for them, they weren't too different from the people of the world who make music for their own pleasure. God was not in the midst of their worship. Matt Redman, at that moment of realization, stopped the team from playing their instruments. In fact, he didn't set up any instruments during worship, and instead had everyone sit down and share the word and prayers together. Redman started sharing his ways of worshiping had not been for the praise of God, but had been on giving people joy and moving of their hearts through the power of music, and he started to repent. The worship team started to focus on God's voice and what He wanted them to do. Day after day and week after week, they spent a lot of time in prayer and in the Word instead of jumping into praise. And all the members of the team prayed for the recovery of a true worship of God. And slowly, they realized that their hearts were facing God once again, and that they were worshiping God—worship that is neither for themselves nor for the people. A worship team that only looks towards God, true worship, had started being given to God again, and the worship song that was written based on that experience continues to inspire many people to return to the true worship of God. It's the song, the heart of worship. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I worship Your holy name. Sun comes up. It's a new day. 
song again Whatever may pass And whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord, oh my soul
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Truth in Love, Part 2, based on 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for us. And the gospel is not that you love God. The gospel is that God loves you. The gospel isn't all about me. It's all about God and His love for me. It's all about God taking the initiative. We never initiate. We're always the responders to God. Throughout Scripture, you'll see that the teaching is that we always respond to God. So if you never see God's love, what are you going to respond to? So the key to the Christian life is you keep your eyes on the love of God and the grace of God, and you'll always be responding to that. How do you respond to God's love and grace? By worship and service. Amen? Isn't that what you want? So I understand that my job as kind of a spiritual coach is to keep your eyes on the love and grace of God for you, the love that God has for you, the grace that God has shown to you, and the result will be worship and service in your life. That will happen because all you need to hear about is how much God loves you and how much God cares for you and what God has done for you and he's never going to stop loving you. And then you say, and God also says that you can say thank you by doing this for me, by living your life for me, by obeying me. If you love me and do you love him? Oh yeah. Why do you love him? Because he first loved you. It always goes back to God, number one. Well, if you love me, then keep my teachings, keep my commands, do what I say. Okay, Lord, well, where do I find that? Right here, right here in this New Testament. You're going to find the teachings of Christ and his apostles. And that's what we're going to follow. And this is love, verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, verse 11 goes without saying, this is the application. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Duh, right? We love one another because God's loved us. How could I not? You know, ever been tempted not to love somebody? Yes, okay. Ever have at that moment the Holy Spirit kind of tap you on the shoulder? This happens like in marriage sometimes. It's like, oh, Lord, how can she be so hard to live with? Or how can he be so stubborn? And... And you get mad and you think, well, I'm just going to dig in my heels. And I'm, I'm just not going to put up with this anymore. And then the Holy Spirit's there. Dun, 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 dun. Little tap on the shoulder. Dun, 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 dun. You think, well, maybe if I ignore him, he'll go away. Because you know what he's going to say. The Spirit's going to speak to your heart and say, uh, how many times have I forgiven you? Can we talk about something else? You want to talk about worship? You want to talk about... Um, no, let's talk about forgiveness. How many times have I forgiven you? Have you ever done something stupid, Mark? 
<laughs> Lord, yeah, maybe. A couple of hundred thousand times. Well, have I forgiven you? Do I bring them up to you? Oh, Lord, do we have to get this in depth right now? Because I've got a good mat on. And see, when you really, you start listening to the Holy Spirit, it really is good for your marriage. It's bad for your ego sometimes. You just have to say you're sorry all the time. You know, you just, let's say it once. I'm sorry. That's some of the best words you'll ever learn. I'm sorry. When we know God's love for us and his forgiveness for us and his grace to us, we become loving, forgiving, gracious people. We have to be because we're, we're always recipients of it. Are you ever going to get to the point where you don't need God's love? No. Or his forgiveness? No. Or his grace? No. I mean, some of you are thinking, well, in heaven, yeah, but in heaven, you're not going to have to deal with your spouse either, are you? <laughs> or, I mean, you know, there's not going to be any problems. And in verse 12, it goes on to say now, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfect in us. Now, I used to never get this verse. I would think, well, okay, what does this have to do with anything, right? I mean, we just talked about, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love to one another. And then he goes, no one has beheld God at any time. It's like, Phew. then all of a sudden we get this whole different element of theology thrown in there. The invisibility of God, you know. What does this have to do? Well, I'll tell you what this has to do. He's saying, look, no, he says, beloved, if God loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, point of application again, he's saying, people can't see God. You may be the only God they see. I don't mean you're a God, but I mean you're the only kind of God-like love they ever see. You're Jesus' hands. You're Jesus' feet. You're Jesus' smile. You're Jesus' forgiving attitude. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you say, nobody's seen God. But we see God's love in each other. And that's what we're supposed to do, is show the love of God toward the world, toward one another. And he says, God abide, if we ab love abide one another, God's, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we say, now love one another, because this shows the love of God. Because people don't see, we can't say, well, God is love. Well, they say, well, nobody sees God. What people are seeing is you. So we're saying you love one another and people will see God's love because they can't see him, but they see you. You got it? Verse 13. By this we know, here's one of those we knows, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is love. And we have the Holy Spirit in us. Those of us who are saved, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And verse 14, we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We believe that Jesus is the only Savior, right? Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Notice in verses 2 to 3, what it said, verses 2 and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, back in verses 2 and 3, it's telling us that if we believe that Jesus really came in the flesh and don't believe the false teachings that, well, he really wasn't really human, he was just, it's not even worth explaining that false doctrine to you. But some people believed he didn't really come in a bodily form, it really wasn't Jesus that you saw, it was a man and... I'm going to explain it yet, aren't I? 
But now he's saying, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. So we're reminded that what we think about Jesus is crucial to our faith. We have to believe and confess that Jesus came as God in the flesh and he is the Son of God. Now, being the Son of God doesn't mean he's less than God. That is a a messianic title. It's a title of the Messiah. He is a Son of God. He's God's one and only unique kind of a human being that ever lived because he is He came, God became flesh, perfectly God, perfectly human, blended together in a mysterious way. And so he's saying you have to believe that or you're not in God and God doesn't abide in you. I like John because we've just given the basics. We're understanding, okay, this is basic to Christian faith. If you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. If you're not living this way, you're not a believer. If you are a Christian, You're going to believe this, and that's going to result in living this way. You're going to walk in the light as he is in the light. You're going to not want to walk in darkness because that's not where your daddy is. You're a child of the light. You're a child of God. So these simple things that we can hang on to, they're very practical, I think, applicable. Verse 20. There is a claim that can never be true. Look at verse 20. Well, let's run down to verse 20. We'll go to verse 16 first. And we have come to know and we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So this is very kind of repetitive now, isn't it? The Holy Spirit's emphasizing how important love is for a Christian. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so we are in this world. He's saying, look, You want to have confidence in judgment day? Then live in love like your Father in heaven. You just don't have to sweat judgment day. If you're walking in the light as he is in the light, walking in the light doesn't save you, but it is evidence that you're saved and you don't have to be worried about, oh, am I going to be lost? One of the evidences that you're saved is you're walking more and more like the Lord. We're not sinless, but we are what? Sinning less and less. That's what he's saying here. Verse 18, there is no what in love? Fear in love. But perfect love, say, casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. I love this because the religion I was raised in was a religion of fear. I don't know if you can relate to that because you know, a lot of, of religion is based in fear. It's fear-based. People get you to obey and do certain things by the fear of if you don't do this, you're going to be lost, you're going to go to hell, uh, the church will cast you out or whatever. And the Lord says, wait, that's not the way I work. I'm working drawing you by my love. Now we understand, yes, there is a judgment day. There is an eternal hell. I don't want to have part of that. And God says, well, you know, that is over here. But I have a loving plan to save you from that. You don't have to go there. I don't want you to go there. And this is what his love is all about. And his loving plan is to save us. He gave his life for us. He gave his only begotten son for us. And so that doesn't have to do with fear. God doesn't, he's not standing up throwing lightning bolts at us. He's not saying, sacrifice your firstborn son to me. He's not saying, throw your babies into the fire for me. 
I mean, you think about what false religion asks of people. And God is saying, no, I love you. Now, and then we naturally respond. And it's not a religion of fear or guilt, by the way, because that all involves punishment. So if you're doing something because you're afraid that you're going to get punished for it, I don't think you've gotten the gospel thing yet. You haven't gotten the grace thing yet. If you're serving the Lord because you love him so much you just can't keep away, well, that's cool because that means your heart has been touched by God's grace and your soul's reverberating with his grace. Now, verse 19, will you read it with me? We love because he first loved us. I, somebody read from like King James where it does add the hymn. We love him and that's okay. The hymn is implied. We love him because he first loved us. Again, he's the initiator. I'm the what? Responder. He loves me. I would never think that God, the holy, infinite, perfect God, would choose me or want anything to do with me, so I would always stay away from him. And I have to tell you, that is what totally drew me to the Lord. I've told you bits and pieces of my spiritual walk with the Lord, but there's time in the life when I became very rebellious toward God. I was very blasphemous toward God. I told him I hated him. I was never going to have anything to do with him again as long as I lived. I called him bad names. I cursed God. I swore at God. All because, really, I thought God was mad at me. Because I had done something that I thought God thought was wrong. And God would never, I, I thought, well, God would never want to have anything to do with me anymore. And now looking back, I think, well, that was kind of crazy thinking. I, what it was, I was only 15 or 17 years old, something like that, you know, why would I think I could have ever done anything that God wouldn't have forgiven me for? But, you see, I think some of us sometimes feel like that. And then that led me to do much worse, really, spiritually, when I'm shaking my fist at God and swearing at God and telling him this ridiculous thing. I say, if, if you don't tell me you love me right now, and I'm swearing at him, I will blankety-blank, never have anything to blankety-blank do with you. Well, I would have, if I was God, I would have said, good, I don't want anything to do with you. Pipsqueak. But he didn't. Instead, here's this God, I'm fighting and kicking and as undesirable as anyone could be. And I'm saying, if you don't tell me you love me, I'll never have anything to do. And something overwhelms me to find the Bible, I open the Bible and it falls open to the only place in the Bible where it says, and it was underlined, where God says, I love you. Now, come on. That's not by accident. That's not by chance. That is verse 19. I love him because he first loved me. There's no doubt in my mind that God loves me. They say, well, if God would tell me he loved me, then I might feel the same way you do, Mark, but I haven't had that experience of God telling me. Well, would you read verse 9 with me again? By this the love of God was manifested in us, toward us or for us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. God has told you he's loved you. Look at the cross. See, my problem was I didn't have anybody saying that to me. And God in his mercy 
just sovereignly showed me. I didn't have somebody who was saying, God loves you, who's shared with me the grace and love of the gospel of Jesus. How thankful I am that he didn't just let me go, but I'm loving him today because he first loved me. You know, and it's an eternal loop. Do you follow what I'm saying? I keep seeing how he loves me first, how he keeps loving me and he's gracious, and so I keep loving him. And, you know, the more you see of, the more you see of yourself, the, the more of a reason you think, why would God want anything to do with me? I don't think as you become more and more mature in the Lord, you think, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, the Lord saved me. I, I was really a catch, you know. <laughs> Whoa, heaven's going to be blessed when I arrive. I don't know anybody who's maturing in Christ who feels that way. We, I feel more of this sense of God's grace today than I did many years ago when the Lord saved me. So, grace is where it's at. Now, verse 20 was where I was headed. I got ahead of myself. This is a claim that can never be true. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's what, gang? A liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen can't love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. And I always highlight these. Okay, what are the commandments in the New Testament, in this new covenant that we're to follow? We're already given a couple in 1 John chapter 3, 23. His commandment is that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and we love one another. Being given those two commands. And now he repeats that second commandment again. This is the commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. He's saying you can't have a love relationship just between you and Jesus only. I just love Jesus. I love Jesus. You know, I don't, I know there are times when Christianity and the church would be sweet if it wasn't for the people. I love the church. It's just those people. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. It's true, huh? But he's saying, this is where we put our faith into practice. This is where it's real. We love one another. And we're going to see whether somebody is really a believer or not. You see somebody who's not loving, it's not the spirit of Jesus. Okay? I mean, that's simple. See somebody who is, you have to say, well, well, wait a minute, what's the fruit of this? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control? Is this, well, that's the Spirit of God. That's what love does. I think that's neat. Lord, we thank you tonight for the Word and the truth of the Word. We just, we want to love you, Lord. And, And you've basically said, okay, love me by loving one another. Show your love for me by loving the people around you by loving your other brothers and sisters in Christ. So, Lord, we're saying if that makes you happy, we'll do that. And, and Lord, we want to do it.
Soul Gospel Ministry is looking for volunteers in tech editing to ensure the quality of the broadcast and the addition of more encouraging and empowering programs. Volunteer hours are three hours a week, and anyone who's had experience with computer before can participate. And don't worry if you're not familiar with the sound editing program. Heart and Soul will provide basic training in editing. So if anyone is interested in helping out our ministry, please contact us at 602-866-8999. Thank you. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with The Voice of the Martyrs. Faith, redemption, salvation, resurrection. These are the key words of Christianity. Among them, resurrection is a concept that is totally foreign to many other religions. It is totally different from the concept of reincarnation, being born again as a different being, or living as a spirit after death. Jesus showed us that there is resurrection by rising from death himself. It is not being reborn as a different being or wandering around as a spirit. Just as Jesus rose again in his body, we will rise again with a new body. Resurrection is a supernatural phenomenon that only God, the Creator, and the owner of life can perform. However, people who did not understand the power of God intentionally damaged Christians' dead body to prevent their resurrection. They sometimes cut the corpses into pieces or cremated the corpses, grinded the bone, and flushed the bone powder into the river. They wanted to take away Christians' faith in resurrection. However, we all know that God's power is incomparable to any worldly forces. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ, as spoken in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. The Bible says that God has already saved us and raised us up with Christ because it will certainly happen. For those who have faith in resurrection by God, there is nothing in the world that can make them afraid because they know they will rise again. Because he had this faith in the resurrection, Apostle Paul could confess that he faces death every day. There is a girl who fought in the battle of faith until the end. In 177 AD, in Gaul, modern-day France, severe persecution against Christians continued as the Roman Empire ruled the region. Christians were jailed, tortured, thrown to ferocious animals, or burned. Among them was a slave girl named Blandina. Today, we will share a story of Blandina, a girl the world was not worthy of. My name is Blandina, and I'm a slave girl. My mistress was a wonderful lady. She told me about Jesus Christ. After I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, 
My life changed completely. My status as a slave no longer bothered me. I lived in joy and gratitude every day because I now own the hope of resurrection and eternal life in heaven. Yet painful news is spreading throughout Gaul these days. Many brothers and sisters in Christ are being captured. My mistress and I were also arrested. They whip and torture us, yelling at us to deny Jesus Christ. But how could we deny him who gives us life? Jesus is the very source of my life. Today they took us to an arena. They are going to suspend us on stakes and taunt the wild beasts. Ponticus, a 15-year-old friend of mine, was shaking with fear. Do not be afraid, Ponticus. We will soon see each other in front of the Lord, I told him. Ponticus held my hands firmly and confessed that he wholeheartedly believes in the resurrection. They took Ponticus. Ponticus walked with certainty. Even while the wild beast tore his body apart, he kept his faith and was martyred. Ponticus' faith gives us hope. I began to pray for my brothers and sisters around me that God would give them strength. My brothers and sisters are being taken away one at a time, yet we know that they are not being taken to face their death, but to face the Lord. It is my turn soon. Lord, I am coming to see you. Please help me keep my faith. That day, Blandina was the last one on the line. They suspended her on a stake and released the animals. But amazingly, none of the animals attacked her. They instead brought her to the roasting seat to burn her alive, and then enclosed her in a net to throw her before a bull. The bull began to toss her about, stabbing and ripping her body with his horn. When Blandina took her last breath, persecutors exhibited her body to terrorize other Christians. In the end, they burned the corpse to ashes and threw it into the Rhone River. They hoped to prevent the resurrection of the martyrs by destroying their flesh. However, even if our flesh in the earth is torn apart or burned to ashes, we will rise again in our new complete and glorious body on the day when Jesus comes and calls our names. Philippians chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. The world is not worthy of those who possess the hope of resurrection. We conclude this week's episode of The Voice of the Martyrs.
To me, the heart of worship is a very special song. When I was struggling spiritually, although I may have had an outward faithful appearance, going to church regularly and serving those around me, when my spiritual state was nearing the bottom, the heart of worship reminded me of the true joy of worship during those times when I had lost the joy in worshiping and when I had been doubting the necessity of worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. What do you think? The heart of worship. Doesn't this song recover the thrill of worship? Our true worship to God? Through this song, I think the Holy Spirit is telling us we who lost the thrill of worship towards God, we who have a wrong idea of worship, mindful of man instead of purely offering it up to God, to remember the true heart. Of worship. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. These are the scriptures of John chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. I hope that all of our listeners would give praise and worship to God today, tomorrow, and forever, remembering that the one who should receive our worship is only God and God alone. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless. When the music fades, all is stripped away. I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. Such much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the. It's all about you, Jesus. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. Every single breath, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required.
such much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart yeah. I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you Into my heart. Into my heart.